Good evening everyone. Can I add to the welcome that Mike gave you? I'm not sure whether he introduced himself, but most of you know Mike Stock, who's uh, one of our own young people studying at International Christian College, uh, doing the youth work course, and has been seconded to us for this year. This morning he appeared as Mr. Incredible in uniform, and uh, we look forward to seeing that again. I think it's gone back in the cupboard. That's a children's talk. And uh, thank you also to the musicians and to Pip and Chris for sharing with us about Malawi. We're going to continue in our series in the book of Acts, uh, but let's pray first of all and ask God to help us to understand by His Spirit. Lord God Almighty, you are the God we've already thought about, who moved by your Spirit on the face of the waters and brought the world into being. You're the God who moved at Pentecost and poured out your Spirit upon your church. You're the God who is still alive and at work in our world today and even in our lives. So as we study the remarkable events that happened in that early church, we pray that you'll help us to connect with them and by your Spirit to become like them in what they did and especially this evening in how they prayed. May this not just be a time when we gain information, but a time when our own lives are transformed by the same Holy Spirit and where our prayer life is revitalized. We ask it in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. Well, here's the news in brief. Recent world news about Christians and churches. India, extremists. In late February, at least 125 Hindu extremists attacked one of the oldest and best-known churches in Madhya Pradesh, Masi Mandir Church, brutally beating one of the fleeing church members. What would you do if you belonged to that church? Iran, apostates. The Iranian parliament is considering passing a law which makes the death sentence mandatory for apostate citizens who leave Islam. What would you do if you belong to the church in that country? Sri Lanka, gunned down. Late on February the 17th, two men gunned down a Sri Lankan pastor, Reverend Samson Neil Eddie killing him instantly. They also shot his wife, Sironi, leaving her in a critical condition, the couple's two-year-old son received minor injuries and was still in shock after witnessing the shooting. What would you do if you belonged to that church? Vietnam, beaten on January the 19th. Security forces interrupted a prayer meeting where about 50 Christians had congregated. They told the Christians to leave, but detained four of them. Three boys aged 12 and 13 who were whipped with bamboo sticks and a 43-year-old man who was beaten unconscious and is still unable to walk. What would you do if you belonged to that church? And two items of breaking news just in this week. Ethiopia attacked. On Sunday the 2nd of March, Islamic radicals attacked two churches in the village of Nansibo Chebi in the Oromia region of Ethiopia, injuring 17 Christians and killing one. They entered the church during Sunday worship, locked the doors behind them, they shouted, God is great, and started indiscriminately attacking men, women, and children. 
Several people had their hands and arms severed by machetes, and one man, Tulemos Caesar, father of four children, was beheaded. What would you do if you belonged to that church? China, arrested. 46 Christians were arrested on Sunday the 13th of April in the Xiangjiang region, China, while holding a Bible class and worshipping in a private home. Public Security Bureau officials broke into the home, arresting all the Christians present. All but two were released on bail after their family members paid a fine. The Christians were asked to confess their illegal Sunday worship activities and to study the government's handbook on religious policy. They were released on the condition that they return and recite the policy to the officials within one week. What would you do if you belonged to that church? What should you do if you belong to a church like that or these? That's just six examples among many, many examples we could cite. I want to suggest that for an answer, we need to go back to the first example of Christians and a church facing opposition. Not a recent event, but one that took place 2,000 years ago. Jerusalem, threatened, following the miraculous healing of a man crippled from birth, Two men, Peter and John, followers of Jesus Christ in whose name the miracle was performed, were arrested by the religious authorities and threatened with dire consequences if they ever again spoke in the name of Jesus. What did they do in response? They went back to the other followers of Jesus, reported what had happened and what the religious leaders had told them, and then they called a prayer meeting. What did they pray about? Well, we find out as we turn to the book of Acts this evening. As we continue our series, The Spreading Flame, Luke, the author of Acts, gives us the text of what they actually prayed. Someone prayed, probably, on behalf of the whole group who prayed together. So, let's read what they prayed about. You'll find it in Acts 4, verses 23 through to 31. Acts 4, 23 to 31. Hot in here. Let's read this together. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. In the Bible Speaks Today commentary on Acts, John Stott writes, Luke has evidently taken pains to give us this prayer 
so that it might serve as something of a pattern to be followed in our own praying. But as well as being a pattern for our praying, I want to suggest it may also be a challenge to our praying and the way that we pray. And I simply want to suggest this evening, there's also some ways we could look at this. I want to suggest that there are three basic convictions which inform their prayer. Here's the first one. The first one from which everything else follows. Alright? Here's the first conviction that these people had. Very simply, they believed God is sovereign. We've passed almost without comment that the first thing they did was to pray. But for many people, and sadly even professing Christians, prayer is the last thing they do. But you will only pray as the first, not last resort, if you believe there is a God who is not only willing, but is able to help you. To borrow the title from a famous book, the problem for many people is, your God is too small. People with small gods rarely pray first. And if they do, they pray without a great deal of hope. But these people who prayed were in no doubt about the God to whom they prayed, about the God these believers believed in. And that is clear from the opening part of the prayer, the term by which they addressed God. Very interesting to listen to people praying, because the very first thing you do when you speak in prayer, you address the person you're praying. So how do you address God? What words do you use? And have you ever thought about it? Or thought about your own prayers? What do you begin with? There are actually many terms, legitimate terms, used in the Bible for ways of addressing God. You remember that Jesus, when his disciples asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. We, we studied this in Luke's Gospel last year. Uh, he said, when you pray, say, Father. Term of great intimacy. It's not the only term you can use. Obviously, it wasn't a, a routine thing, because these people didn't bring in their prayer by saying, Father. So, so, what determines what term you use? Well, let me suggest that it depends on the situation and what you're praying about. You see, in Acts 4, these Christians began their prayer by addressing God and they said, Sovereign Lord. In actual fact, that's confusing as well because the two words there, Sovereign Lord, are a translation of just one word in the original Greek language which is written here. Uh, the word literally in Greek, I'll tell you what it is, not to show off, but because you'll recognize the word when I tell you what it is. The word is despotes, from which we get, if you're all listening, despot, yeah, that's right. Now, despot today has a negative connotation. In, in my dictionary, it says an absolute and tyrannical leader. But originally, the tyrannical bit didn't count. In the original use of the word despotes, or despot, it simply meant someone who was an absolute ruler, with absolute authority and power. Now, can you see now why they pray and begin their prayer by saying, Oh, despot! <laughs> it sounds strange, doesn't it, to pray to God, Oh, despot! I don't suggest we use the exact word, but, okay, use sovereign Lord. <laughs> well, because they're under threat. They've no one else to appeal to. They're impotent. The authorities have threatened them and arrested them. And worst is to come. So what do you do when you've got no power? When you come to God, then how do you address him? What do you address him with confidence if you believe that he's despotes? The sovereign Lord. And so they remind themselves of this. Do you notice what they said? 
Oh, sovereign Lord, they said. They, they focus on God, the creator. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Mike read it at the beginning of the service. We sang about it, that God is the creator. So if God is the creator who made everything, the heavens and the earth, he is therefore the one who rules over his creation. So if he is the absolute ruler, the despotes, the sovereign Lord, well, resisting his rule is pointless. No matter who the rebels are on earth, be they kings or nations, they have no power to frustrate the sovereign's plan. And the believers know that because of the record of scripture, which has informed their prayer. And so they quote an example from the past. It's an example, actually, from a psalm about David, King David, Israel's great king, who was the Lord's anointed one. In those days, if you were appointed to a job, when you were appointed, you were anointed. They poured oil on your head as a symbol of God's power coming upon you, and particularly the Spirit's power coming upon you. So they quote from Psalm 2, the second psalm in the Hebrew hymn book in our Old Testament, which asserts the fact that kings and nations are plotting against David, the Lord's anointed. They've got it in for David, all the surrounding nations. And the psalm celebrates the fact that their resistance is doomed to failure. Look what it says. This is their prayer, alright? You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Waste of time. They're plotting in vain. No chance. Now, what they do then is very interesting. They take this description from the Old Testament, from, from God's power being exhibited against rulers and authorities in the past, and they then transfer it and say, this has been fulfilled in our own experience in the present in Jesus. Because who is Jesus? He is the Lord's anointed. The Hebrew word for anointed person is Mashiach. Messiah. In Greek, it's Christos, Christ. So he says, this has been fulfilled in the present through Jesus, the Lord's anointed. They go on from the psalm to say, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. Jesus is the Lord's anointed. And those who speak or act against him and those who act in his name, like these apostles who've healed someone in the name of Jesus, have been told to shut up and stop doing it. It says it's in vain. The word in vain means fruitless, pointless. In fact, if you read on in the psalm, and it's the only time this word is used of God, it says when the Lord looks down from heaven at these people opposing him, he laughs. It's the only example of God laughing. He laughs, as it were, uh, at them shaking their puny fists in his face. I once had a friend in India, and I still remember it. Um, I met him in, he'd come to work in India with his wife, and they had a little boy, Richard. He's a big boy now. But uh, he was about two years old, and, and his parents were trying to get him to, get him to bed. And uh, the parents were talking to me, and he was supposed to be laying down in his bed behind. Uh, this was in Delhi, I think it was. And, uh, uh, I don't know if it really matters. But, uh, and uh, and uh, as the parents were talking to me, I saw this little boy stand up in his cot, and he went, 
And I just laughed out loud, you know, to see this wee boy just going like that, you know. And his parents went, what, what's, what is it? And he went right there, you know. <laughs> so, well, can you see the picture is here? He says, the Lord is the, you know, here's these people, they've been threatened by these authorities. And, and they're saying, the Lord laughs. And he says, you've not got a chance. It just, the Lord laughs. I think of the film, uh, Mike was Mr. Incredible this morning, but, you know, think of the film... We like them, don't they? The ones with superheroes in. Because we know no matter what happens to the superhero, you know it's going to end. In the end, he's going to defeat the baddies. His enemies will be defeated. Now, that's fiction. This is reality. Now, because the believers knew this, because they believed it to be true, it shapes not only their thinking, but it shapes their praying. They know they're on the winning side. That the sovereign Lord and his chosen one, King Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, is going to triumph. And to resist him is useless, pointless, stupid. So before we move on, I ask you, which side do you want? Because you're on one side or the other. You're either for Jesus or against him. Are you an enemy? Or are you, as these people were, servants of King Jesus? And if you say, well, oh yeah, I am a servant of King Jesus. Do you hold the same conviction? That the sovereign Lord is the sovereign Lord. He's in control. Now you can nod your head and say, yeah, yeah, I believe that. Okay, how does that apply in your personal life? Maybe you're facing some situation that's beyond your own competence and power. Or or some opposition as a Christian. Or some difficulty that seems like, you know... Well, you, you haven't got much authority. There's not a lot you can do about it. So when you, when you pray, what do you pray? You say, oh, please help. Or do you say, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth. This is no problem for you. Or, or let me put it in a broader perspective. We, we began with the news. When you look at the news and the things that are happening in our world, you think, where's God in all this? It's just totally out of control like a runaway horse. Or do you pray with conviction because you believe in the sovereign Lord? And you believe that Jesus is his appointed king. And Jesus will reign. As we sing in the hymn. Where'er the sun does his successive journeys run. His kingdom stretch from shore to shore till moon shall wax and wane no more. Great conviction that you believe that Jesus is king and God is the sovereign. How do you know? Listen to people pray. Because how you pray reveals what you believe about God. Do you believe that God is sovereign? That's the first thing. And it's within that thing that a second thing arises, a second conviction they had. Absolute conviction. Their second conviction is this. Opposition is inevitable. We thought about this with Colin this morning. These two sermons really are the mirror image of the, of the other and Colin said it very well this morning but let me try and put it in a slightly different way we saw this morning how if you've been following our series in the book of Acts it's this remarkable event the Holy Spirit is poured out on the day of Pentecost 3,000 people become Christians the believers are all together having a wonderful time even everybody loves them Acts 2 finishes by saying they were enjoying the favour of all the people and the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved wow Fancy belonging to a church like that. There seemed to be not a cloud on the horizon, let alone overhead. 
So who would have thought that the act of healing a crippled beggar, crippled from birth, would arouse such a storm of hostility? No one. Except those who had been with Jesus and been instructed with him in the scriptures for three years, and then between his resurrection and ascension, for six weeks as he talked to them about the kingdom of God and the scriptures, and warned them about what was going to happen. You see, when Peter and John got back to the, pre- the group of believers and reported about the threats that had been made by the religious authorities, the believers didn't throw up their hands in panic and say, Whoa, are we? Why has this happened to us? What did we do to deserve such unjust treatment? It's so unfair. No, they said in effect to God, Lord, this is just what you told us to expect. You see, through scriptures like Psalm 2, God has revealed that the background of human history is one of human beings and human governments in rebellion against the Lord, against his authority, and against those who serve him. And the record of history is, if human beings individually are rebels against God, the bigger the group of human beings that get together, the bigger the opposition to God, and the bigger the damage they'll seek to do. Which is why God brings down empires. Thankfully. And you see this opposition, that's that background picture, you need, to, you need to understand that picture, that human beings are not neutral about God, they're in rebellion against God. We shake our puny fists, as one famous preacher I heard, Dick Lucas, once say, man given the chance will murder his maker. And so that against that background, what is happening to them now... The opposition against Jesus and his followers is now mirrored and magnified in this opposition against his anointed one, King Jesus and his rule. And so Jesus experienced opposition from human authorities. Look at verse 27. After saying this about, some, about the psalm, look, we've looked at the verse already, but look at it in this context. Indeed, they said, having read the verses, from, quoted the verses, and they knew the scriptures... That's the problem with many of us when we pray. We don't know the manual to start with, so we don't know how to pray, informed by the scriptures and what God has said. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Notice how they interpret Psalm 2 in the light of current events. The nations of Psalm 2 are the Gentiles. The peoples are the people of Israel. The kings of Psalm 2 are represented by Herod Antipas, the Jewish king, and the rulers by Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. They interpret the psalm in their present experience. And there's these strange bedfellows getting together. You know, Herod and Pontius Pilate, they hated each other. The record of their enmity. But they united on one thing that brought them together. Let's get rid of Jesus. Everyone, not just the Jews, as people sometimes say, were responsible, conspirators, co-conspirators, against Jesus. But... The prayer says, this didn't catch you in the wares, Lord. No, although human beings are responsible, those who pray know that Jesus experienced opposition from everyone, just as the sovereign Lord had planned. Verse 28, they say, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. That's the background. Now, what about them in their experience? Well, they say, because everyone is against Jesus... Just as you planned and warned. So the servants of Jesus also expect opposition from human authorities. We saw this morning as we looked at these verses, they're worth looking at again. Here's Peter writing to Gentile Christians, probably 20, 
25 years later, in his first letter, they're undergoing a, a fiery trial of persecution again. And he says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. 1 Peter 4, 12 to 13. So, servants of Jesus expect opposition from human authorities, just as Jesus warned them. Here are the words of Jesus again, John 15, 18 to 20. Jesus said to his followers in that period just before he left them, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So, when you pray... Do you believe that God is sovereign and that if you're going to live for Christ and speak for Christ, opposition is inevitable? Or does it catch you by surprise? Last year in a speech on 13th of January 2007 by uh, the man who used to be Prime Minister, some of you may remember him, called Tony Blair, um, he gave a speech about the conflicts in Iran, in Iraq and Afghanistan. And he commended the British troops, I quote, for doing the most incredible job in the circumstances of extraordinary danger with a bravery that we should be very, very proud of as a country. And then he added something very controversial. Well, people said it was. I couldn't see what the controversy was. He said, on the part of the military, they need to accept that in a volunteer armed force, conflict and therefore casualty may be part of what they are called upon to face. His comments met with fierce criticism. We may have questions about the war and how it's been conducted, but surely the principle is correct. You don't join the army and not expect to fight. You don't necessarily want to fight, but you don't join for the, for the facilities or the social club or whatever. And it should be no surprise to Christians, therefore, to face opposition. These early Christians knew this is what they signed up for. Now, let me ask you if you're a Christian. I don't know how long you've been a Christian. Did anyone tell you when you became a Christian, before you follow Jesus, you need to be aware you're going to face opposition and difficulty and suffering. It's going to be really hard. I regret to say that often today we don't tell people this. I was very encouraged. It's been... <coughs> my voice is going, so you'll be glad to know that. Been... I had an incredible week this week in Nidri. Some of you may know that messengers have been running a Celebrate Recovery group for 12 people um, who were all addicts, mostly drug addicts and all sorts of other addicts. Pretty tough people, drug dealers as well. There are 12 people in the class. Uh, and Mez rang me, he was so excited on Tuesday, he said, you'll never guess what's happened, we're going to have to change the group. I said, why is that? He said, they've all become Christians today. I said, what? He said, yeah, the last five all said, we want to become Christians. And, and, and he said, he said, Jez and I, we, we, we just didn't believe it. And we said to him, look, you really need to count the cost. You don't really know what you're doing. And he said, we, we did all we could to dissuade them from making a commitment. <laughs> That's serious. He, he said they even went out for a fag break while they thought about it. And they came back and he said, we, we grilled them one at a time and said, do you realize what it's going to cost you? Here's a crack dealer earning a thousand pounds a week. He's going to lose his income. He's going to have to retrain. 
I understand now the two main drug dealers have become Christians and the other two in prison, so there's a vacuum there, so we better pray that nobody else fills it. There's a cost. I know a guy's become a Christian there, phoned up his girlfriend, and she said she just gave him real abuse and said, that's the end of you, boy. There's a cost involved in following Christ. So notice how these believers prayed. They, didn't, they expected it. When facing opposition, they reminded themselves that God is sovereign and suffering is expected. Then and only then, unlike our own prayers where we launch straight into the requests before we've barely got the name of God off our lips, only then did they turn to their prayer request, which was governed by the two convictions and shaped by our third and final conviction. Here's the third and final conviction in their prayer. Proclamation is paramount. This is 29 to 30. I mean, think about it for a moment. Here they are in this terrible, tough situation. They've been threatened by the authorities. They know that Jesus similarly was threatened and then murdered. And you've come before someone you believe is the despotes, who's the ruler of everything. So, nothing is impossible for him. You know, they could have sung, you know, Our Lord God, you've made the heavens and the quote from the Old Testament. Jeremiah, I think, you know, nothing is too difficult for you. So, so, you know, it's one of those things, you know, you can have any request you like. What are you going to pray for? Well, look at the prayer request they made. It's quite remarkable. Now, Lord, now at last, having established their principles, now, Lord, their convictions, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness, stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That's it. Probably said amen, but it's not written there. Notice not just what they prayed for, but what they didn't pray for. They did not pray for relief from suffering, but for power for witnessing. If you were at the prayer meeting on Wednesday, every month we pray for our mission family. Very few of us turned up on Wednesday to pray for our mission family, if you're a member of this church, can I say, disappointingly. Uh, Nick Hulbert, is Nick here this evening? Yeah. Nick Helbert was sharing with us how he's, working, he's been working on the border with Thailand and Burma, helping Burmese uh, refugees coming over the border and going in and helping. He's going back there in November. And Nick shared a, a, a crisis prayer request from one of the leaders of the Free Burma Rangers who'd been detained by the authorities with his family. Didn't have any details. He said the only thing that they request they've made is, please pray for boldness in witnessing for Christ. Great. Didn't say pray will be released. Thankfully he was released. But that wasn't the crucial thing. Pray for powerful witnessing. And notice what they're asking the Lord. They're saying, Lord, give us boldness to do the very thing the authorities don't want us to do. To speak in your name. And Lord, as you did with your son Jesus, authenticate what you're doing with signs and wonders following, which declare that Jesus indeed, as with the healing of the cripple, is the one who has power. In his little book on Acts, the American pastor and preacher Warren Wiersbe writes, they did not ask for protection, they asked for power. They did not ask for fire from heaven to destroy the enemy, but for power from heaven to preach the word and to heal the sick. Their great desire was for boldness in the face of opposition. And they knew as they prayed this that God would answer it. It was totally in accordance with his will. You see, there are often times we pray and we're not quite sure what we should pray for. But if you want to... If you want a prayer request that God will definitely answer without any doubt whatsoever, then you pray for boldness in witnessing. Boldness in testifying to who Jesus is. 
That's the promise and priority of Jesus. That's our verse for the year. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, said Jesus. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And that promise was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, when they'd been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And now the prayer request is answered as they are filled again with the Holy Spirit. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And as we'll see, the Lord gave them great power to witness. He answered the prayer. We'll see it next week, God willing, for Lord Terrace, verse 33. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. And as surely as night follows day, when you preach with great power in witnessing, you know what follows? Great persecution for witnessing. We'll see in the next in our installment that the apostles are called in and flogged. They ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Acts 5 verse 40. Floggings eventually lead to murder as Stephen, the first Christian martyr, lays down his life. And following Stephen's martyrdom, on that day, Acts 8 verse 1, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered, where? Throughout Judea and Samaria. And what did they do? Great growth through witnessing as these scattered Christians carried out the mandate of Jesus. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now, can you not see the sequence? Great power in witnessing. As you pray for power in witnessing, you'll get more persecution. And as a result of more persecution, you'll get more growth. So what stops it? When you don't pray for power in witnessing, when you settle for the status quo, when you sit back and say, well, things are doing pretty well in Charlotte Chapel. A lot of people come, we're doing better than other churches. So what? You see, many Christians seek fresh experience of the Holy Spirit. I'm one of them. I hope you are. I hope all of us as Christians seek fresh fillings of the Holy Spirit. But we can only be assured that such prayer requests will be heard and answered if they're made for the right reason. Why do you want more of the Holy Spirit? So that you might be a greater witness for Christ and more bold in your testimony and witness for Christ. With one purpose together as a church united to boldly witness for Christ. That's why we've chosen this as our theme for this year. We need to be out witnessing Charlotte Chapel. Not just sitting there and thinking people are going to walk through the doors. Warren Wisby again writes with a challenge. He says, too often to get today believers gather together for prayer as though attending a concert or a party. There is little sense of urgency or danger because most of us are comfortable in our Christian walk. If more of God's people for witness, were witnessing for Christ in daily life, there would be more urgency and blessing when the church meets for prayer. You talk to messengers and ask them, this year has been a remarkable year thus far and we need to pray for God's protection over them. You ask both of them without telling me any prompting and say to them, why has that happened, do you think? And I'll tell you what they'll say. At the beginning of this year, we decided as a church that we would meet every morning, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, from 7 till 9, and pray. And we think we're doing well if we meet for 45 minutes, 10 or a dozen of us on Friday mornings in Charlotte Chapel. And, and almost every week, it's just so encouraging. Matt and I sit down and Matt says, you know, the Lord's blessing is we've got these really important issues. I've got to go and visit somebody this week. It's going to be really difficult. Can't see any way out of it. And next week he says, it's sorted. God's answered prayer. Taking prayer seriously. 
What are they praying for? More boldness to witness for Christ. You should see what God is doing. Remarkable because of prayer. This week they had a phone call from Mez said, I was actually in a meeting with Mez. He got a message. He went out on his phone. He said, uh, that's, the, that's the local health practice. Um, the addicts have started coming in. The local health practice, the GP practice, have 500 addicts on their books in Craig Miller. And the addicts have been going in and saying, I want to get off drugs because I'm following Jesus. And they want to know what it's about. And can they refer some of these addicts to us for help? I said to him, what did you say to me? He said, I said, yeah, definitely, as long as you don't ask us to downplay Jesus, because only Jesus can set you free from the power of sin. And that's what you need most of all. Great. Wonderful. What can you do in Charlotte Chapel? But it's when you realize how vulnerable you are and how weak you are and really believe that only God can do it that you really pray. That's the secret. That's the answer. Nearly finished. This is my conclusion. Let's think of where we began a moment. We began with the world news, didn't we? News of Christians facing opposition. India, extremists. Iran, apostates. Sri Lanka, gunned down. Vietnam, beaten. Ethiopia, attacked. China, arrested. Finally, Jerusalem, threatened. So, Let's finish with ourselves. What word you, would you put after UK or Scotland? To describe our situation. I think some of us might put the word worried. <laughs> Concerned. Worried about perceived threats. To liberty and freedom of worship. Worried about liberty to evangelize. Worried about laws that are changing the fundamental basis upon which our society has been founded, Judeo-Christian heritage. But while it is right that we seek to preserve these privileges that we've enjoyed for centuries, can I suggest something to you? We should seek to maintain them, but can I suggest to you that losing them, facing serious opposition, may not be the disaster that we imagine. There's a story from the Renaissance period, which is told in various versions. Something like this. Thomas Aquinas, the famous theologian, was walking with a cardinal, or in some versions the Pope himself, through one of the grand cathedrals in Rome, 13th century. Referring to a coffer as they passed it filled with precious stones, the cardinal remarked, Behold, Master Thomas, The church can no longer say, as did St. Peter to the cripple, silver and gold have I none. Alas, said Thomas, and nor can we say, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Hmm. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the challenge of your word and of that early church who prayed with their backs to the wall in their own impotence, seeking you, the Sovereign Lord. You are still the same Sovereign Lord, the one who rules the affairs of men and history and nations and individuals. And so we come to you with confidence and we long that we might be a church that boldly witnesses for Christ in our city, in our homes, in our colleges, in our workplaces. Lord, forgive us that so often we're fearful and defensive and on the back foot. 
So as you give us opportunities, and we know that you will, we seek them. Give us boldness in witnessing to the uniqueness of Jesus, the one in whose name alone salvation is found. Reinforce those convictions in our hearts and minds, we pray today. And as we go out into the week that lies ahead of us, in Jesus' name, for your glory. Amen.